the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It's a delight to bring on a guest who has an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal in the same day. Pompeo busts the occupation myth. We spoke a little bit about this yesterday with a historian from the Middle East. It's actually a pretty darned big story. Professor Eugene Kantorovich, law professor at George Mason University uh, uh, Law School, has this piece in the Wall Street Journal. The claim that the Israeli Israeli settlements are illegal was flimsy in 1978 when it was first articulated by the U.S. administration of Jimmy Carter's. And it's a good thing that Mike Pompeo and Donald Trump have put an end to it. Professor Kantorovich, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Uh, First time guest to the show. Do you want to take just a moment and tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do and how you came to be doing it? Sure. I'm a professor of constitutional and international law at the Antonin Scalia Law School in George Mason University in uh, Arlington, Virginia, right next to D.C. Uh, And I write about a lot about... Israel and international law and deal with uh, legal issues related to Israel and the U.S.-Israel relationship. I've worked a lot on anti-BDS laws, laws that make boycotting Israel treat treat it as a form of discrimination. Uh, Arizona has one of these laws, which is now being challenged by the ACLU, which wants to create a constitutional right to discriminate against Jews. Uh, and um, I write a lot about international law as it applies to Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, which other people call settlements. So I think it's uh, extremely welcome and uh, really historic that the U.S. administration has clearly said that Jews living places is not a war crime, because that's what people mean when they say settlements are illegal. The argument that Israeli settlements are illegal means that there are places in the biblical heartland of uh, where Jews should never be allowed to live. And it's important to know that Jews lived in these places until 1949, when Jordan invaded to prevent the creation of the state of Israel, and it occupied part of the territory. That's what the West Bank was. It was the area occupied by Jordan. Jordan expelled all of the Jews from there. And then Israel managed to retake it in the Wonderful, in the miraculous 67 war, uh, the Six-Day War. So what people want to say is when Israel retook this territory from which Jews were expelled 19 years ago, they now must permanently prevent Jews from living there. Uh, that's a, I think a racist and bigoted and illiberal position, uh, which is why they try to disguise it in legal terminology. Yeah, I've always, thank you, Professor uh, Kantorovich, I've always found it fascinating that there can be an argument that Jews can't live as a minority 
amongst a majority population in, say, places with names like Hebron, Jericho, Bethlehem. Jerusalem. Or Jerusalem, while Arabs can live and have the right to live in places like Tel Aviv. I've always thought that was an odd double standard that has never made any sense. Precisely. And that's why they try, that's why defenders of this view that Israel is obligated to prevent Jews from living in the areas Jordan ethnically cleansed of Jews, they have to say, well, you know, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying there's this general rule of international law. But as I point out in my article, and much more extensively in my academic work, this rule only exists for the uh, sake of, uh, in the case of Israel. There has not been a single UN resolution condemning settlers anywhere else, condemning any kind of movement of population in any disputed territory, even in any situation of occupation. This rule was invented for the case of Israel, and it has not been applied anywhere else. What would be another example of where people settle and the, and the international regime does not go after them? Uh, basically, anywhere there has been a protracted uh, conflict. Oh, okay. Uh, Morocco, Morocco in western Sahara. Uh-huh. Turkey in northern Cyprus. But even America in West Berlin. Uh-huh. America and the Allies occupied West Berlin from 1945 until 1990. Yeah. No one ever suggested that, that because Americans are occupying it, it means Americans are not allowed to move to West Berlin. It wasn't even an idea. It wasn't even a, a crazy idea. There was just no such idea. Now, Professor, an, uh, an important part of the argument that uh, Secretary Pompeo makes and that you make has to do with the sovereignty of the land itself, the historical sovereignty. If I understand and read you correctly, you cannot have an illegal uh, an illegal occupying power or an illegal settlement where, 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 where the land was itself never sovereign to the people beforehand. Yeah, the whole... Occupation is a very technical legal status, and the question of settlement involves a very obscure provision of occupation law, but it only applies if there's an occupation. Now, an occupation happens when you when a country takes over foreign territory, but eastern Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria were not foreign territory to Israel. They were territory that was part of the mandate for Palestine, created by the League of Nations, a national home for the Jews. When Israel declared independence in that territory, it was, of course, attacked by all of its Arab neighbors who occupied parts of that territory. No one would say that if um, Ukraine, in a, it, would, it would take a miraculous war, but if they had a miraculous war in 10 years and dislodged Russia from parts of Crimea or Donbass, that they would be occupying that territory. Sure, Russia governed it for a long time, but Russia itself is governing it as an occupier. Uh, so because Jordan, this territory never belonged to Jordan, there was never a Palestinian state. And there's not any other example in which the international community uh, will treat as an occupier a country that is taking territory to which it has sovereign claim. Wonderful, Professor. Uh, thank you for doing this uh, last-minute request. I just saw the op-ed and wanted to get you on if I could, and I'm glad you could. I'd like to have you back for a, a longer uh, discussion. We have about a minute left. Absolutely. We have about a minute left. In that minute, might you say something about the notion that is so widespread that it is these, quote-unquote, settlements that are the cause of so much strife and rife within the Middle East? They are the obstacle to peace. Would you take a minute and talk about that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that notion has been completely disproven by history before and after. So all of the Arab countries declared war upon Israel at the moment of its creation, and they maintained that war uh, well uh, continuously. Israel only retook these territories in 1967. 
So why were all the Arab countries fighting Israel before 1967 when Israel didn't control any of these territories? The only difference these territories make is they make it much harder for the Arab countries to actually destroy Israel. But the conflict antedates Israel, predates Israel's control of these territories. And even today, we see that uh, the conflict in the Middle East, what is the conflict in the Middle East? It's the civil war in Syria. It's civil war in Lebanon. It's civil war in Libya. It's the war between the Arab countries and Iran that plays out in Iraq and plays out in uh, Yemen. These are huge conflicts. And the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has nothing to do with it. And we even see that now the Arabs have really lost interest in this uh, conflict. They uh, barely reacted when uh, President Trump moved the uh, U.S. embassy to Jerusalem in a historic decision, which people said, oh, you can't do, it's going to fan conflict in the Middle East. They reacted even less when uh, President Trump recognized the Golan as Israeli territory. And now you can, it's quite clear that they've moved on from this issue. Um, I think the only ones who have not moved on are uh, parts of the European, uh, the European Union establishment and parts of the progressive movement in America. But um, they're lagging behind the Arab world on this one. Professor Kontaravich, thank you so much. Folks, you can follow him on Twitter, especially if you want to be smart, E.V. Kontaravich, at E.V. Kontaravich. Professor, we will have you back. Thank you very much Absolutely. for this. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Owen Strand for townhall.com. What do you get when you take a mysterious house, a talking lion, and an English professor? You get magic. You get a gateway to an enchanted land. You get the Chronicles of Narnia. Fifty-six years ago, Cambridge University professor C.S. Lewis died. When he died, the world lost one of the two literary figures who had created a new wave of compelling fantasy. Both Narnia and the Lord of the Rings trilogy represented genuinely terrific fiction that functioned as a spiritual lens by which to see both the world before us and the world beyond us. And now, nearly 60 years later, appreciation for the work of Lewis and Tolkien shows no signs of abating. Even as children experience increasingly secular education in the West, many young minds are awakened and stirred by the possibility of hope beyond the horizon. All thanks to a mysterious house, a talking lion, and an English professor. I'm Owen Stray. Alliance defending freedom, fighting for those whose liberty is being violated. Click on the banner at townhallreview.com.